Good morning, everybody. Good morning to all those who are online, if there's anybody. I'm just kidding. I just want to say thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. And let's pray. Let's pray right now as we're about to start. There we go. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, Lord, as the nation is really just fighting. We have inward fighting and lots of issues that are going on. There's so many passionate people on both sides. But Lord, as we preached last week, I pray this so wholeheartedly for us. That yes, we be doers of the word, but also two weeks ago, we are to be slow slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. I pray that our nation would be slow to anger. Again, you said in James that man's anger does not produce your righteousness. We all need to hear that on both sides. Yes, we can be upset. Yes, we can be angry. But help us, Lord, in our convictions, not our opinions, in our convictions of the truth of Jesus Christ, share people, share with people the love of Jesus Christ. We need to be a church that loves each other well, so that the outside world, the world who doesn't believe in us, will see it and know that we are your disciples. That's what John 13, 34, and 35 is all about. That's what you preached, Jesus. So help us to love each other well. As we are slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. I pray for this time, Lord, that it's for you. It's for your glory. It's for our edification so we can be built up in our knowledge of you, and Lord, I hope for many of us here, it's not just on Sundays, but we do it every day. We do it every day, that we open up your word every day, and we chew on it. Masticate on it. Meditate on it. Because that's the only thing that's gonna bring unity to this world is Jesus Christ. So Lord, we pray for this time. We pray for your word, that if it's not from me, take it from me. Don't allow me to say it. Please, Holy Spirit. But if it's what we need to hear, say it through me boldly. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we have been going through James, the New Testament Proverbs, and that's really what it is. And last week we talked about being doers of the word. Yes, Jesus is our Savior. That's important. However, he is also our teacher. And are we learning from him? He told us many things via parables. For example, have the right perspective when it comes to God and our position with God. To be poor in spirit, to be humble, and understand what humility is in God's economy. Many people don't. I think that's where we get into a lot of trouble online. 
He knew a lot of trouble online because we're online strong. I can type all this there. I'm going to show you that God is real. Blah, blah, blah. You're not going to argue anyone in the kingdom of heaven. It's not going to happen. The heart of stone is only turned into a heart of flesh because of the Holy Spirit's work, because of the saving grace of Jesus Christ on the cross, because the belief, receiving, believing in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, that's what changes a person's heart. So have the right perspectives. He taught us that there are some who fall on good ground, some who fall on bad ground. Where do you fall? Jesus told us that God is always there. He's willing and able to run to us if we're willing and able to turn from our ways and run to him. That was the prodigal son. The problem is, is that many don't, and they don't want to because they think he's a cosmic killjoy. Many think he's a cosmic killjoy. James then turns to being doers of the word, to giving us an example of those who are and those who are not, with the mirror example. People who look into a mirror seem to forget what they look like when they walk away from a mirror. Well, what is a mirror supposed to do? I asked you ladies the question, do you put up makeup with a mirror or not? Do you do it by memory? Or do you use a mirror? Because it helps you to see exactly what's going on. And men, when you shave, do you just do it by feel? Or do you use a mirror? What is a mirror for? It should cause us to do some kind of action. That's what a mirror does. The scripture is a mirror in our lives. And God is telling us to not just look at scripture, but be willing to do something about scripture. Today is gonna to be no different. James is going to give us God's calling in our lives, and we're gonna to have to look at ourselves and see what we're doing with God's calling. There's something important for us as Christians. We are called to do something. I posted a couple videos online with a man who is extremely smarter than I am. Makes me feel dumber than a rock most of the time when I listen to him. But Ravi Zacharias said in his last video that I posted, we need to show these people who live in a postmodern world where there is no truth. Truth isn't relative, there is no truth. We don't know what truth is. In that kind of society, the only way we can show the truth of Jesus Christ is through compassion of the convictions of God. I will never apologize for God's convictions. All life matters. Black lives matter. White lives matter. All life matters. That's God's conviction, not mine, and I'm never going to apologize for that. And I'm never going to feel sorry for saying all lives matter. It's not a racist statement. Every life, from the unborn to the people who are in their 80s and 90s, all of them matter. That's why assisted suicide is wrong. I don't know if you remember Dr. David Kevorkian. I remember growing up in Detroit, and that man was considered the greatest savior of all. He was killing off all these older people because they were dying in pain. So he's helping suicide as a doctor, let them take their own lives. No, that's wrong. I remember the arguments my parents were getting into with people, that it's okay. No, it's not. It's not okay. So we're gonna look at our callings. Do we deceive ourselves and are we rendering ourselves worthless? 
the question James is going to ask us. With that being said, let's look at the end of chapter 1 of James. I know, this has been a long sermon series already, and I'm just getting through chapter 1. So I apologize to you all, but this is what God is laying on my heart, and I'm praying through it. So we're in James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It says this, If anyone thinks he's a religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let me break this down for you guys in a couple sections. The three things that James is done telling us, telling us the church. Remember, this is a letter to the churches. This isn't a letter to the world. This is a letter to the churches. Let me say it again. This isn't a letter to the world. It's a letter to the churches. We need this to start happening here. Here. Not outside. Here. In the church. The churches that need to be fixed and worked on. Look at what he says when he's talking about after the mirror. Look at what he says. James 1. If anyone thinks he is a religious person and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. It's our tongues. Our tongues get us in trouble. There are three characteristics of a worthwhile religious person. Number one is the person who can control his or her tongue. The first thing he talks about is the person who can control his tongue. I try to live by the motto of Abraham Lincoln. It's better to be thought of and stay silent and thought of as a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. That's a great motto to live by. That's why you're not going to see me arguing on Facebook often. I won't do it. I'll send you a private message. I'll call you. I'm not going to get into an argument with people because there are too many people who think they know everything. And a lot of times they don't know anything. So I was telling my kids, if you don't know anything, don't say anything. Because you're arguing from a position of assumption of authority and you don't have it. That's a logical fallacy. We don't know everything that's going on in our government, so stop acting like we do. That's a problem we're having. So in the church, the person who can control his or her tongue, that's what God's saying. They're going to think of us as fools. Now, does that mean we don't stand up for the truth? Absolutely not. You stand up for the truth. We stand because, again, we are to destroy every argument and lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians 10. Our job as Christians in the church is to destroy. Let me say that again. Destroy. Hope you're hearing this online, people. We are to destroy every argument and lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. But you better be prepared. Otherwise, you sound like a fool. Let me explain what he's talking about here. He's saying that this is the person who says that they're a Christian. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And then they go off and do whatever they want. They never really open the Bible. They may even go to church. Never really open the Bible. They might have advisors. 
who don't open their Bibles. Just letting you know, some people who claim to be Christian aren't really Christians at all. They never open the Bible to understand who God is. They don't want to. God is calling us to know him more, to love him well first, then love the whole world. Those are the two most important commandments. They say life is this. I believe that Jesus is God's son, but I don't live that way. I don't live that that's true. I mean, I sleep around, I drink, or I get drunk. I yell and I beat up people. I do all the things that are against the Bible. But I'm a Christian. They're the ones who are out there preaching constantly, all the time. Look at me, I look smart. Look at me, look what I wrote. Get a like here. Shush. I know your tongues. I know you know that there are people like this. I know you do know. I know that you have children and grandchildren who've gone to church their whole lives and they've walked away from the faith. But I guarantee you, if you ask those people, are you Christian? They'd say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I went to church. Are they really? That's a tough question to ask, especially of a loved one. Someone you so care, deeply care about, and you know they've walked away from the faith. These are the people that you know in this life. They're people who live this way. For example, let me give you an example of a, of a leader. His name was David Koresh. Does everyone remember who David Koresh was? He was a cult leader of the Branch Davidians, an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. He claimed to be the last and final prophet of Christianity. He claimed that this is the kind of person that Jesus was going to say on the Sermon on the Mount. I never knew you. Get behind me. I don't know who you are. He says this in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Verse 23. Listen to what Jesus says. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's what James is talking about here. He's talking about that here. Just because you say you're a follower of Jesus, are your words or your actions speaking louder? Which one? How many here want to hear that Jesus says this in Matthew 25, 21 when they die? How many would love to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? You've been faithful over little, I'm going to set you over much. Enjoy and enter into the joy of your master. If so, are you doing what God is calling us to do? Are you being doers of the word? Are you taking care of those who are in prison? Are you taking care of those who are sick and visiting them? Are you taking care of those who are in need and hungry? This is not the job of just the pastor. It's the job of all of us. Not just the job of the missionaries. It's the job of all of us. 
and pulling out money is not taking care of people in need necessarily. It's partly something that we should do, but are we doing enough? Are actions speaking louder than our words? Because the king is going to answer, truly, I truly, I say to you, as you did it for the least of these of my brothers, you did it to me. Now, are we taking care of those who are less fortunate than ourselves? Let me be clear about something. We can't do all things. We can't. Because we wouldn't do it well. We just can't do all things. It's impossible. But Jesus can. So point people to, be, to, to those who can help, who are of the faith. For example, Project Hope. I recently had a woman call me up and she's struggling paying her rent. We don't have the money to pay your rent. I'm sorry, but there's this place called Project. Oh, I already tried them. Okay, what did they say? Well, they can't do anything for me because I've already used them. Um, we don't have endless resources here. I apologize. Is there other places you can go? I don't know. I thought you guys could help. Why aren't you willing to help? And then I found out she was scamming all the churches in the area for money. Don't, I'm not going to get into all details. So we can't do all things for all people. And they're going to blame us for all the things that they have going wrong in their lives. That's just, welcome to being persecuted for being a follower of Christ. Jesus said it was going to happen. So don't be shocked. Don't be upset. Understand that Christ went through it first. We can't be all things to all people, but we are needing to take care of those who are in need. We don't have all the money in the world to stop homelessness or hunger, but there are places we can recommend. Mel Charter Ministry for Homeless. Maybe they can help you out. Are we doing that? Are we recommending those places? If we can do something, are we? If we if not, then, then should we be doing something? That's the real heart issue here. The biggest issue James is addressing here is bridling our tongues. Why are we doing that, church? John Wesley, a Methodist press, uh, preacher. You know who John Wesley is, right? Right? John Wesley, the guy who basically started the Methodist movement. Listen to what it said to him. <laughs> a very critical woman in his church comes up to him and says one day, Mr. Wesley, the strings of your bow tie are much too long. Wesley found some scissors and asked the woman to trim them to her liking. And she did. Then Wesley looked at the woman and said, Ma'am, your tongue is too long. <laughs> and it offends me. Stick it out so I can trim some of it off. James is going to talk more about this in chapter 3 of his letter, but he says this about the tongue. We put the bits into the mouths of horses so they will obey us. We guide their whole bodies as well with it. Look at the ships also. They are large and are driven by strong winds, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. We can tame all kinds of beasts and birds, etc., but no human can tame the tongue. The main point here is that the believer's tongue should not speak inconsistencies when it comes to God and the things of God. 
Someone sings and we find faults. Someone preaches and we find faults. Someone teaches a class and we find faults. Yes, I think we can all agree that no one is perfect. However, the tongue reveals what really is in our hearts. Everyone who follows Jesus speaks inappropriately from time to time. Everyone who's a follower of Jesus speaks inappropriately from time to time. However, Jesus and James are not talking about something that is occasionally true of us. They're talking about something that's continually true of us. That's the issue. If we're speaking badly of someone or something online, what are we really doing? What kind of message are we sending? Continuing in sin is not a good thing, and gossip is sinning. Did you see what Pastor Chris posted on Facebook? Did you see what so-and-so put on Facebook? Did you see how they said, stop. Bridle our tongues. Followers of Jesus is what we are to be. See what he teaches about people. See what he teaches about our enemies and what we should do with them. Because what James is going to say next is of the utmost important and speaks to what's happening in our world today. Verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we're visiting the less fortunate in their affliction. Again, this goes back to Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is talking about what you did for the least of these you did for me. Where are we going to be when it comes to our brothers and sisters from another mother? I know that many of you remember and, and, and have memorized it by heart my sermon on 1 John 3. I wrote that in there just in case you're wondering. <laughs> it's about word and deed. This church, word and deed, I didn't preach anything on that one. I just came down and we started praying together with each other. We were showing love for each other, praying for each other, crying with each other. Listen to what John says about word and deed. Listen to what he says about the less fortunate. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. We are not, we are only to love not just in words, but in deeds. I posted something about racism that is affecting so many people in our world today. And there needs to be reform involved on all sides. There does. But Christians, this is an opportunity for us to stand up for the truth, for Jesus Christ, and share his love with everyone. Racists who need Jesus to change their hearts. People who need Jesus to change their hearts. People who need to see that others love them, not because of the color of their skin, but because God created all of them in his image. I want to 
to share a story with you that I think is going to resonate with this church because you guys know the story of the man I'm about to talk about here. It says this, because it's true of us today, and I just want to make sure I mention this, what we should do with our black brothers and sisters. Listen to what it says. At 6.01 p.m. on April 4th, 1968, a shot rang out. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who'd been standing on the balcony of his room in Memphis, Tennessee, now lay sprawled on the balcony's floor, a gaping wound covering a large portion of his jaw and neck. Billy Graham was in Australia at the time of King's death. He remembers the moment someone approached him with the news of Dr. King's assassination, which was followed by journalists seeking a quote. Billy Graham said this, I was almost in a state of shock. Not only was I losing a friend through a vicious and senseless killing, but America was losing a social leader and a prophet. I felt his death would be one of the greatest tragedies in all of our history. Describing how he met Dr. King during a 1957 crusade meeting in New York City, Mr. Graham wrote in his autobiography, one night civil rights leader, Dr. Martin Luther King, whom I was pleased to count as a friend, gave an eloquent opening prayer at the service. He also came to my invitation to one of our team retreats during the Crusades to help us understand racial situations in America more fully. As their friendship grew, Dr. King and Mr. Graham started to call him and said, don't call me by that, call me by my nickname. His father explains Mr. Graham, who was called Big Mike, called him Little Mike, and he asked me to just call him Plain Mike. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. entered to the Christian Missionary and Ministry and he was ordained February 1948 at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia at 19 years old. In 1954, upon completing his studies at Boston University, he accepted a call at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. While there, Dr. King was instrumental in leading in the Montgomery bus boycotts made famous by the nonviolent resistance and arrest of Rosa Parks. He resigned from Dexter Avenue Baptist in 1959 to move back to Atlanta to direct the activities of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. From 1960 until his death in 1968, he also served as co-pastor with his father at Ebenezer Baptist Church. Dr. King credited Billy Graham with having a significant part in reducing tensions between whites and blacks in the South. In 1965, Mr. Graham canceled his tour of Europe to preach a series of crusades in Alabama with me, praying that the gospel would tear down the walls of division between the races and seeing the importance of his work alongside Dr. King. Mr. Graham thought it was utterly important. Dr. King later said this, had it not been for the ministry of my good friend, Dr. Billy Graham, my work in the civil rights movement would not have been successful as it had been. During the civil rights movement, Mr. Graham preached, Jesus was not a white man. He's not a black man. He came from that part of the world that touches Africa, Asia, and Europe. Christianity is not a white man's religion. Don't let anyone ever tell you that it's white or black. Christ belongs to all people. Yep. 
He belongs to the world. Reflecting on how his thinking changed throughout the years, Billy Graham writes this, I cannot point to any single event or intellectual crisis that changed my mind on racial inequality. While at Wheaton College, I made friends with black students and I recall vividly one of them coming to my room one day and talking with deep convictions about America's need for racial justice. Most influential, however, was my study of the Bible, leading me eventually to the conclusion that not only was racial inequality wrong, but Christians especially should demonstrate love towards all people. Racial inequality is wrong. And as Christians, we are visiting, are we visiting those who are widows and children like James is asking us? Are we looking to our black brothers and sisters who are struggling? Yeah, I, listen, I get the arguments. I understand the statistics. I can quote them to you. Police brutality against blacks seems to be way blown over proportion according to the statistics. I get it. White cops killing black people is about 1%. 1%. White cops killing white people is 8%. I understand. But what are we doing to show the truth in this maybe misconception of inequality? I told you the story of what it was like for me and my buddy Omar walking down the street in Detroit. We got pulled over. Was it because he was black? Was it because I was white? Or was it because we were teenage punks? And there was someone who was calling saying that there was teenagers in the neighborhood who were causing trouble. We weren't causing trouble, I can tell you that, hand to God. But we got pulled over. We got pushed against the car. We got yelled at by the cops. I felt that. I know what that's like. But what are we doing? How are we helping? Because James is saying that the religion that's pure and undefiled is that very thing, taking care of the less fortunate people. It has to start here first. It has to start in our hearts and in this church. Did Jesus change our hearts for those who died for us? For him? Did he change our hearts? Or are we still going to live in a way that's not necessarily what he would have to start by doing? Because the last part of this sermon is James is saying, keep oneself unstained from the world. We live in the world, not of the world. Listen to the words of Jesus here in John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for servants does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in my Father, in his name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, 
Know that it hated me before it hated you. If the world loved you, then you would be of the world. But because you are not of this world, that I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. It's got to start right here, church. It's got to start right now. Paul says in Ephesians this, Put the whole armor of God on that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Devil knows the scripture, guys. Knows it better than most of us. If not all of us. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. This is one of our core values in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That's what God laid on my heart for this church. Is that we're not going to be conformed to, well, this is what we've always done. No. We're going to do what God's calling us to do. We're going to be able to test and discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. We need to know that the stains from the world are wrong and that we're no longer to live in this way. If you have hate in your heart, if you have racism in your heart, if you've got anger in your heart, lust, pride, no self-control, envy, impurities of all kinds, jealousy, drunkenness, and the things like these. Those aren't my words, guys. Those are God's words. Paul warns us that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, his fruit will look like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires. It's got to start right here. It's got to start right now. I'm not saying we all get up right now and run out to Grand Rapids proper and start taking care of everything that's a problem. No. Let's sit down and actually pray and ask God what he would have us do as a church. How can we take care of right here, right now, so that we can be healthy, emotionally healthy, spiritual people who can then take care of others. That's what I'm asking us to do. That's what I'm asking of myself. Before I pray, we're going to take communion. I want you to do me a favor. Take some time to pray and ask God what he would have you be doing for the widows and the children. Some of us do a lot. Some of us don't do anything. That's just the truth of it. Some of us who can't do stuff, you can do one thing I guarantee, you can be praying. You can be praying from home. If you can't go out and do something, be praying from home. If you're restricted physically, then be praying from home. Who are those who are less fortunate than ourselves? We need to bridle our tongues, especially on social media. We need to be different than the world. 
We need to be taking care of the widows and the children and keep ourselves unstained from the world. That's God's calling in our lives. Are we living? Let me pray for us, and then we're going to take communion together. And I'm going to explain to you how the communion is going to work. So we're going to come up to the middle aisle. I'm going to put on some gloves, and I'll hand you the bread, and you'll take the grape juice. And then you'll walk back down the sides. You'll try and keep some semblance of social distancing. Try and keep protect you guys as much as we can. And if you want, same time, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. If you want to give to the benevolence fund so we can take care of those who are in need, the plate's right there. So you can give or not give. You can wait to give. It's totally up to you. Totally up to you. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to we're going to close. Heavenly Father, we want to do your will. We want to live and have the fruit of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We want to have the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and self-control. We can only do those things if we put on the full armor of you. Lord, so we want to do those things. We want to give that to you. We pray as a church that we would love each other well so that we can love the world well. We can go out and bridle our tongues, but yet also stand in truth for the convictions that you have for this world. All lives matter. Black lives matter. White lives matter. Help us as a church to show the truth that Jesus didn't die for a specific group. It makes me so angry to see these people online. And I, I know it was supposed to be slow to anger. But it makes me so frustrated, I guess, Lord, that I see all these people online claiming that Jesus died for certain groups of people. He died for the Samaritans. Their lives matter. No, Lord, you died for all of them. They misunderstand your mission here on earth. Help us, Lord, to stand up for the truth, but to do it in a loving way gentle, kind way with reverence for the persons involved. <clears throat> Help us to have a righteous anger like Christ. But our anger, man's anger, doesn't produce God's righteousness. So, Lord, we are going to be slow to anger, slow to speak, and quick to listen to you. Help us you know what you would have us do, only in Baptist Church, the world around us, as we're about to take communion in remembrance of you. I pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.